When I was a child, I wanted to be President of the United States. And some of my decisions reflected that ambition. The reason I went to law school was not to become a great lawyer, although I am. But, um, but that was the path I saw how people got to the White House. Many children want to be athletic stars. They want to be in the NFL or the NBA or the NHL or Major League Baseball. Their, their goal, their ambition, their desire, their dream is to be a Major League athlete. Some people have the ambition to raise in the ranks of their businesses uh, to become president or CEO or whatever the highest reaches of the organization is. And we have those ambitions. Some of them good, some of them not. Some of them realized and many not. But it's interesting when it comes to spiritual matters, we seem to be ambitious lists. We kind of have this idea that while we live in the United States and it's a capitalistic society, that somehow heaven is a great communist state in the sky. That everybody's just equal, everybody's just the same. The whole point is to just get there and then it's fine. Jesus kind of hinted differently when he talked about John. He said, of those born of woman, which means from after Adam on, there was no one greater than John, but the least in the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is greater than John. By implication, if Jesus says somebody is least, means there's somebody greater and somebody better and, and whatever. I'm pretty sure that the disciples kind of caught up on this because they heard that statement. And them, even though many of them were fishermen and tax collectors and whatever, they had ambitions. Hanging out with Jesus. Talking about the kingdom. So their ambitions, if you will, is to rise in that kingdom to have some kind of say or authority. So in Matthew 18, Jesus deals with that. Says, At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, if heaven was the great communist place in the sky, then Jesus would have simply said, You guys, you got it wrong. The whole point is just get there. As the... the the old Southern statement, even if you get there by the skin of your teeth, you just get there. That's the only ambition you need to have. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus starts to teach them how. And he called a child to himself, and he set him before them and said, truly, when you hear Jesus say truly, because Jesus doesn't lie. So when he says truly, as my little paraphrase, this is on the test. This is important. What I'm going to say is just not for me flapping my gums. Pay attention. Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. 
Now, first off, Jesus is saying, you may have as your ambition to be great in, kingdom, in the kingdom, but you got to get there first. Because it doesn't matter how great you think you could be in the kingdom, if you're not in there, it just doesn't matter. So he says you need to be converted, which means you need to be changed. You need to be born again. You need to become a child of God. You need to be different than you are. And that is what God does. You need to change. You need to be converted. And then he says you need to be like children. Now, in our culture, unfortunately, we kind of miss the boat when it comes to when he says about children. Because we do everything for the children. We just love the children so much. We, you know, there's even politicians who will say that all the Russian nuclear weapons are pointed at our children. I'm going, you know, I hang around children, which means they're kind of pointed at me too. But it's always about the children, and we're always talking about the children. And then we have this bad thought that children are somehow innocent, that children are somehow just these wonderful fuzzballs. All you have to be is be around them and know that's not true starting off with their birth. Now, if they were this wonderful, lovable fuzzball who never cared about anything about themselves, they would say, you know, I'm hungry, and I need to be changed. But mom has had a really hard night. She needs her sleep. So I'm going to be here, and I'm just going to lay here another four or five hours so she can get some sleep, and then she can feed me and change me. That's not what babies do. They cry. And they cry and they cry until you get up and you do what it is they want you to do. It's about me. Children are not all that innocent. You do not need to teach children how to lie. They quickly decide that I would rather disguise and cover up what happened than to admit what happened. Now, good parents will then say, look, I'm going to teach you that Lying is worse than doing whatever it is that you did. So you always, and we, we, but it doesn't come naturally. They're not innocent. They are born sinners. No one teaches them that. What Jesus is talking about as being children is in that society, first off, they had no rights. The father especially could just take them out. And would not have to answer to any authority. They were considered almost as if the, the parents' property. They also required provision and protection. It was the parents who provided for them, provided shelter and clothing and protected them. And what Jesus is saying is, you need to look at God, your Father, that way. That you are wholly dependent on Him for your provision, for your protection, for your covering, for your leading, for your guidance. If you are like that, then you will be. Right? But whoever then humbles himself as this child, when he, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, I want you to notice something very significant here. Notice Jesus doesn't say, if you do something, you will be the greatest in the kingdom. He didn't say, if you become a pastor of a multiple thousand member church, and you're on television, and people just think you're the most wonderful speaker, and that they just 
want to hang around you, and, and you're just awesome. He didn't say that. He didn't say, if you go on a missionary journey to China or, or uh, India or Venezuela or your next door neighbor, he doesn't say what it is that you do. Now, in earthly circumstances, how we acquire our ambition is what we do. And unfortunately, oftentimes, it's not only what we do, but those who have the authority over us deciding to advance us. So it's not only what you do, but who you know. Jesus never says, if you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, do this. And all too many believers, pastors included, think that if they just do enough, somehow God will be impressed, that it's almost like God needs them, and therefore they will advance in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus never teaches that. He teaches not what you do, but who you are. You are to humble yourself as a child. You're not to demand your rights because you don't got any. You're not to be independent. You're to be dependent on God. So, there is not one person sitting here today, not one person who hears this message. I don't care where you're under nine or over 90. You can still be even greater in the kingdom of heaven than you are now. Because it's not, well, I'm too old. Fine. Pray. See, do be humble. You don't even need anybody to be humble. You can just be humble. Except those of us who are proud of being humble, and then, then you kind of defeat yourself. It doesn't take a lot of energy to be what Jesus wants you to be. Verse 5. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever comes... I'm sorry, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Jesus is going to tell us two things. We are to humble ourselves as children, and we are to receive each other as Jesus now, most of us, when we think of revival, we think of having some great speaker, some charismatic speaker who preaches hellfire and damnation and scatters the hell out of us and heaven into us. And, we, and that's what we're looking for. Could you imagine how revival might break out if every member of the church simply says, Jesus lives in you. Jesus died for you, and I'm going to treat you as I would if you were Jesus, and forgive me when I haven't done that. Now, if we were to do that, I don't think we need a hellfire damnation preacher. I think the Spirit of God would so overwhelm this place 
because we would actually be following the teachings of Jesus. But he also says, you can humble yourself and you can gain in the ranking of the kingdom. But here are some things to avoid. Do not cause the little ones, the young in faith, to stumble. And he, and he makes them pretty grand. It's the same thing as if you take, it'd be better. So causing somebody to stumble is worse than if they tied around your neck a millstone. A millstone is not a little rock. It was something that oxen would circle and grind wheat or barley or whatever. And they said it would be better if that was tied around you and they threw you into the sea and you drowned a terrible death. Isn't it interesting that sometimes we have no regard for whether we cause someone to stumble? And yet Jesus takes that very, very seriously. So we gain ranking in the kingdom by being as children. We can lose ranking by causing our brothers and sisters to stumble. He's going to go on and say in verse 7, Woe to the world because it's stumbling blocks. For it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come. The world has stumbling blocks. Remember I talked about ambition. We have ambition. And so what it is that many people do, they say, well, once I finish my education, then I'll get active for God. Well, I got my degree, but you know, I got to get a good job. And so after I get a good job, then I'll serve the Lord. And then, well, you know, I got a good job, but they expect me to work Saturdays and Sundays and do all of these things, and I got to impress the boss. And so once I've acquired the position that I want to be at, then I can serve God. Well, now I have so many responsibilities that that I got to provide for all these people who work for me. And if I'm not working for them, then, then there's a problem. And so after I retire, I'll work for God. And then, well, you, you know, all those times when I wanted to go to Italy and China and all these different places that I didn't get to go because I was so ambitious, after I've had a chance to see the world, and then I'll serve God. Well, you know, now I have cancer, and you know, it's, it, the chemo is, it makes me sick. And I just, but if God heals me from this cancer, then I will serve God. The world has all kinds of reasons for us not to serve God. As I say, I have never met anybody on their deathbed who say, I wish I would have spent one more day at the office. It's funny how facing eternity causes us to really see what's of value and what's eternal. The great mistake is letting the world cause us to stumble and not serve God. So Jesus says, the world's out there to cause you to stumble. The last thing the world wants you to do is, is to serve the Lord. 
And some of our brothers would be to say to be on fire for God. Part of it is because one, they don't believe, and two, if you actually do that, then they have to consider whether they should do it or not. So they feel much more comfortable if you don't either. So the world just doesn't want us to do that. But then it's, Jesus goes on and says, but woe to that man through whom the stumbling block comes. You see, we will be held accountable if we've not allowed our brothers and sisters to be the type of ministers and believers that they were meant to be. Woe to you who cause the stumbling blocks. And then Jesus is going to say something. I'm going to read it. And I find it interesting how the commentaries really like to dismiss what Jesus is about to say. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than to have two hands or two feet and be cast into the eternal fire. If your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life with your eye, without your eye, with one eye, than to have two eyes and be cast into fiery hell. Now, all the commentaries want to say that this is, a, this is an overstatement by Jesus to get us to understand the magnitude of it. I don't believe that. I believe Jesus is totally serious. But I want you to see what he says, because most of us think, oh, if I cut off my arm or my hand, that will keep me saved, because I won't sin. Notice he doesn't say that. He says, if your hand causes you to sin so that you do not enter into life, it is better. So it is better to lose a hand and have eternal life than have a whole body and go to hell. Now, I think Jesus used those parts of the body because one would oh my gosh, I would never want to lose my hand. You got to be kind of demented to cut off your hand, right? So Jesus can't mean it. No, Jesus is being serious. However, how many times has your hand actually caused you to sin? your heart and your mind that corrupts the hand. It is the heart and the mind that tells the hand to go where it shouldn't go. It is the heart and the mind that causes the eye to see what you shouldn't see. But Jesus is saying, kind of in the opposite way, when Jesus told his disciples, what does it profit you if you gain the whole world and lose your soul. I believe this is the flip side of that statement by saying, what does it profit you to keep what you have and not gain eternal life? So I don't think this is an overstatement. I also don't think Jesus is saying, okay, we'll go out there and cut your hand. I will tell you this, in case you're thinking, Pastor Joe is saying, well, let's go off and, and cut your hand. This is what I want you to do first. In your avoidance of sin, I want you to pray and suffer so that you sweat drops of blood. And after having done that, give me a call or an email, and we'll talk about the rest. 
but most of us never sweat drops of blood fighting sin. We just give in to it. But it is a very important question to say, what am I willing to hold on to and not gain eternal life? See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that their angels in heaven continually see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Now from this passage, there are a lot of people who say, oh, this means you have guardian angels, you don't have guardian angels. There's a big fight about it. I don't know. Quite frankly, I don't care. I don't care if I have a guardian angel or not. You know why I don't care? Because my God knows the number of hairs on my head. He knows my rising up and my setting, and that nothing can happen without his permission. And I don't care if I have a guardian angel or not. If he wants to assign me one, wonderful. If he doesn't want to assign me one, wonderful. Because whether they see the face of God continually, the scriptures say that I can come to the throne of grace and find help and grace in time of need. So if you love angels, wonderful. I do know that the scriptures say that blessed in the sight of the Lord is the death of his holy ones and he sends his angels to gather them. Wonderful. I've said this before. You'll notice the next verse has a bracket, which means some of the older manuscripts don't have this verse. So as I tell you, if you see a bracket, don't get theology from it. But I also think this little bracket, whether it belongs there or not, it's kind of a statement that's true. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. And that's why he came. So whether it's there or not, I don't know. But it's not an untrue statement. But again, you notice if you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, do not despise the least, or at least in your opinion, the least in the kingdom of God. I heard a, a uh, I hate to use the word story because story kind of seems like it's a once upon a time. Uh, a narrative, an event. There was a church that wanted uh, a speaker to come and preach at their service. And there was this particularly famous preacher that they wanted. And he said, no, but I'll send another young man and he's excellent and you should take him. And they go, no, no, we want you. And there was this back and forth. And finally, the this famous uh, Preacher said, I'm not coming. If you want this young man, you can have him. If you don't have him, then you have nobody. So reluctantly, they took the young man, and he preached. And he came back. This young man's name was Billy Graham. And he came back to the pastor who had sent him. And he said, well, how did it go? And Billy Graham said, it didn't go very well. So that's what happened. He goes, only one person came to the Lord. He goes, well, did you take that? And did you write down his name? He goes, yes, I did. He goes, who was it? He says, his name was Warren Wormsby. Now, for you, those of you who haven't gone to Bible college or haven't gotten certain commentaries, you don't know who that guy is. That guy has written a number of various commentaries. He does a lot of 
be like be faithful, be whatever. He accepted the Lord. One person that Billy Graham thought didn't go well. How many things do we do in our ministry that think don't go well and yet have an impact on the lives of others? Here's this person who wrote various comments, who many pastors read and use. And yet, it didn't go well. Whatever God causes to happen is awesome. And Billy Graham didn't save that individual. God did. God used Billy Graham's presence for the Spirit to call him. And then the Holy Spirit used that man to impact others. So when you're teaching children in Bible study and they're not paying attention, they probably are more than you think. When you're teaching adults and they seem to want to be talking about other things other than whatever, you may be having a greater impact than you think. You may be sitting in this church or another church. I remember Libby and I took a, a vacation uh, we went to Chicago, and we asked the Lord to send us to a little church. This church that we went to on the east side of Chicago um, used to be a large church. The problem was, uh, in Chicago, they had a number of aviation jobs and whatever, and a bunch of people from the south came up to Chicago and started a Southern Baptist church. And the sad thing was that they did not impact the community because after all those people went home to retire, this church that Libby and I prayed to go to had a total of 12 people, counting Libby and me. But even that little church had children. And that little church had adults. And that little church could be used by God because God doesn't choose the number of people. He chooses whom he chooses who are willing to do what he chooses. And even if you decide that you don't want to, talk to Jonah when you get to heaven. Talk to Paul when he's knocked off his horse. And I'm sure when God chose Paul, there were a whole lot of people, but God, he persecuted the church. He was there when Stephen was stoned to death and he approved it. And you're using him? And God goes, I don't need your advice. Where were you? I spoke the world into existence. And then along with this importance of that which seems to be insignificant, Jesus continues, what do you think? If any man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go and search for the one that is straying? If it turns out that he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than the ninety-nine which have not gone astray. 
So it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones perish. You see, it's not the number of people who come to the Lord. It's the little ones. Jesus, I left heaven and was sent by my Father to seek those who've gone astray. Because they're mine. And I will search for them and I will find them and I will bring them home. And if that's God's business, and if we are children of God, then we need to be in the family business. And the family business is finding the little ones, protecting the little ones, seeing the little ones as Jesus. And deferring to the little ones. And to become the little ones. You see, God hates pride. But he will exalt the humble. And I bet, bad choice of words, but I'll use it anyway. I'll bet there are going to be a number of TV evangelists and pastors of large churches who have built great cathedrals. Who have gone to one church that was small and built it, and then gone to another church that was small and built it, and gone to another church that was small and built it. When they come to the Bema seat, I bet they're going to think, bring on the rewards. And Jesus may say to them, in my vernacular, you made it by the skin of your teeth because you were converted. I won't choose a place because if I choose a place, you'll say I'm being unsympathetic. You get to rule some place that none of us want to be at. Then there will be a little old lady who won't be a little old lady anymore because she's in heaven, who nobody ever knew. Nobody knew her name. Nobody really knew what she did. And yet Jesus will talk about her faithfulness, her humility, her life of prayer, her life that showed Jesus in everything she did, in everything she said, in everything that she wanted. And he will say, well done, you good and faithful slave. You are faithful in a few things. I give you North America. To rule and reign for a thousand years. Because you increased in the ranks of the kingdom. Because you were a little child. You saw everyone that you came in contact as me. And you treated everyone you came in contact as if it were me. And you love them the way I love people. And you love them the way you love me. Again, can you imagine 
how revival would break out. If not only did I follow Jesus' commandment, that I love you the way he loved you and gave himself for you. But you, can you imagine how I would love you as if I loved you as if you were Jesus? The scripture says, wherever two or three are gathered in his name, there he is. So I believe he's sitting in the front row. He's going to say, okay, Pastor Joe, you know, give you a two on the speaking ability, but... My spirit did whatever my spirit did and whatever. But when we come into this place, we should come not only expecting that Jesus is present, but that Jesus is present because if there's anyone in here who's even struggling in their faith, but have faith is Jesus. It comes from the inside out. I can't make my hand love you. But the love of Jesus can make my heart and mind love you. My determination, my ambition may not make my eyes not go where they should go. But the love of God can. And if we are so desirous of being ambitious in this world, which let's face it, you win. You get to be emperor of the world. You still die. You are still subject to the King of kings and Lord of lords. So maybe... Our ambition, I'm not saying you shouldn't desire to have good things. I'm not saying turn off the desire and live a hermit life. I'm saying if you're so ambitious, you want to be president of the United States, then maybe you should take that same ambition and say, I want to be significant in the kingdom of God. Because this will not last but this will last for eternity. And all God's people said,